Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Nathan Beckard. He's the founder and CEO at Founder Suite. Nathan, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Love being back here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you back on the show. I was looking. It's been five years since you were last on the show. So obviously lots have changed probably in both of our lives. But maybe before we get into Founder Suite, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. You bet. I grew up in a little tiny town in the Rocky Mountain National Park area called Estes Park, Colorado. And then nice. we moved down to Bolt. Then we moved to Saudi Arabia for a year. Wow. Like at, on a lark. My How dad old were you? Up, like maybe 11, something like that. Somewhere around that time frame. Old enough where it was a very traumatic move from the mountains sure. of Colorado to sand dunes of Saudi Arabia. But it was also obviously looking back now, I'm like, wow, that was really cool and different and neat. You know, at the time, sure. I was like, terrified by that but, <laughs> um, but then spent most of the formative teen years I guess you could say in, in Boulder Colorado so that's kind of my hometown very cool so you went to university what did you take and why so yeah went out from Boulder didn't want to stay in Boulder Boulder was a great University of Colorado but spent all my high school years going to the college parties and kind of <laughs> been there done that so decided to head out west, young men, go to California. And um, my dad and I rented a, I forget what, it was like a Mustang convertible or some ridiculous okay. car and drove from San Diego all the way up to Oregon, looking at colleges like all along the West Coast, um, wow. which was kind of fun. Ended up at Santa Clara University, which ended up kind of coincidentally being at the heart of Silicon Valley, and that was sort of the gateway into to tech. But I studied uh, finance in German and then got a, an MBA at University of Texas in Austin. Okay, so what made you want to go into finance and, and, and take German? <laughs> yeah, good question. Um, finance was interesting. You know, like I've, I'm still fascinated. I mean, even what we're doing at Founder Suite is you know, the facilitating the flow of capital into the the best returns, right? Into the best sure. companies. And that's what, you know, I spent a little time doing investment banking, which is helping companies raise capital, helping companies access public markets, which is, I just love this sort of concept that capital will find its way to the best and highest uses, you know? I think that's that's a really cool concept, um, and so that was so was so appealing about that, and um, and that's that's why we studied that, um, and it's exciting too, right? It's you're dealing with money and and uh, and all that. It's just kind of it's pretty cool. Interesting. And then, what made you want to get your MBA? You know, there was. I feel like it's not even as 
relevant, I don't want to say relevant, but not as much of a clear path. Like back, back when I was in college, if you wanted to be in finance, it was a pretty clear path. You would get your undergraduate degree, go work, usually in investment banking or doing something like that for a couple of years. And then you would automatically go back and get an MBA. It was kind of like a given. Now, nowadays, I don't think it's quite so much. Um, but, you know, MBA is also kind of a fun time to like take a step off the 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 work rat race treadmill and just kind of learn some new stuff. A lot of people use it to like pivot their careers, right? I wasn't quite doing that so much, but, you know, taking a break from work and spending a few years um, learning, studying. I love, I'd love to go back to college. I think when I retire, I'm going to just start taking college classes, like, you know, nonstop. Awesome. Yeah, I think it'd be fun. Um, and MBA is pretty good for helping build out a network, right? I mean, if you think about like, career path so much of of it is not just who you know but or not just what you know but who you know totally. and i think a program like mbas i mean you can get this you can build that network other ways too being part of online communities being you know working at facebook or google etc cetera, etc cetera. but mba is a, a pretty clear way to help build out your network so and that was pretty good for me sure so walk us through your career maybe some highlights along the way until coming up with the idea for founder suite and then we'll dive into that yeah so although i started down this path of being an investment banker i had an entrepreneurial bug even from from forever i think i think you're kind of like born with an entrepreneurial bug sure, no <laughs> i agree yeah and but, but I just didn't have any good ideas. So actually, when I was at UT getting the MBA, I tried to start a business called Trial Logic, and it was a clinical trial software business. We, a couple guys and I got together and we licensed some technology out of the university uh, MD Anderson Cancer Center. They were using this technology to manage their clinical trial data. And they were looking to license it. And we, you know, spent months negotiating a deal to get this software. But really, I had no real interest in clinical trials. It's something way over my head and didn't just have a passion for it. So, you know, that failed. Moved back out to Silicon Valley after grad school. I had missed all the on-campus recruiting. So I didn't have a, a cushy consulting or, or finance job after getting the MBA. So I just came back out to California and started helping startups raise capital because it's what I knew how to do. Um, all the while thinking, all right, I've got to come up with like, what's my next startup idea? There's got to be something out there that I can. And I was keeping a journal, like writing down startup ideas. Nothing was really popping that I wanted to devote my life to. And then one day after helping companies raise capital for several years, just had this idea of like, why don't I build software for, for this process? It was around the time if you remember when Mark Andreessen of Andreessen Horowitz yep. came out with that phrase, you know, software is eating the world, meaning like every <laughs> yeah, industry. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty epiphanal, if that, if that's a word. Yeah, no fair. Uh, yeah, and and you saw this happening right with with tax, right? You had you saw like TurboTax and Quicken and all these other you know coming into tax and and legal. There were a bunch of different software things going into the legal world, and like why isn't this happening in in the fundraising world and so that's where the original idea for founder suite came from 
Very cool. So was there like a defining moment though that made you say like, okay, I need to really build this? Because it's one thing to say like, I should maybe turn this into software, but it's a lot harder to actually commit and actually build it. And you've been doing it for a number of years now. Yeah. So, you know, we were doing when I had a, the, the consulting business helping startups raise capital is called Venture Archetypes. And we would get a, a startup on, on board. We would come in, build them a financial model. We would spend some time researching investors, building a target list, and we'd load it all up into a nice fancy Excel spreadsheet. And, um, and then we give them the spreadsheet of investors and they would use it to track all the conversations. Right. But okay. there were flaws in that. Like that spreadsheet works pretty well for about a week or two, and then it gets really, really messy. And so that was the sort of the original Genesis idea. Like we could turn this into software. We could start on a pretty low level, super simple way. Right. It wasn't like if you said, Nathan, you've got to come up and build a NFT marketplace online, I wouldn't know where to start. But this right. was very achievable, very approachable. I knew what categories this should manage, right? Contact information for the investors. It should manage where you're at with each investor. It should, you know, kind of track all this. It was very approachable and achievable. And so I cobbled together, I don't know, 50 grand or something like that. And, uh, and got some Polish engineers to build kind of a first MVP of this. So that's, that's the beauty of it. If it's something you already know pretty well and you've lived in the customer's shoes and in the customer, taking the customer journey, you know, you can kind of ease into it versus like launching this huge thing from, from scratch. No, I, I think that's actually really good advice. So I'm curious, how has it evolved from that first version to what it is today, you know, like seven years later? Well, so <clears throat> I left out a little part of that. We actually thought that maybe doing just software for tracking investors was maybe a little too narrow. So came up with this idea for Founder Suite, which was broader. The original vision was broader a little bit where it was going to be a whole bunch of different tools, software tools, for founders, everything from idea, idea generation validation to fundraising tools to like marketing and PR tools, kind of had this whole whole suite of things. And we actually built that to, to start with. And so I used that 50 grand to like build these MVPs of all these different products and realized, hey, what are people actually having trouble with? It's raising capital. What do I actually know best? It's raising capital. And so after, after we raised the money, I killed off all the other tools <laughs> and focused in on the fundraising thing. And then, so we launched this investor CRM as our first product. Um, and this is like five, over five years now, five, six years now, launched the investor CRM, killed off everything else. And then since then, and since you and I last spoke a few years ago, we've just been adding like one or two new products a year, all staying focused on the fundraising. So we added a a database of investors and we're up to about 200,000 investors in wow. this everything from angels to VCs to private equity family offices fund of funds uh we added an investor update tool for doing like your ongoing communications your monthly or quarterly update to investors 
We added a, a pitch deck hosting tool. So if you've used DocSend or Google Slides, it's kind of like that. Upload your PowerPoint. You can track who's viewing it. That's cool. We added, um, yeah, that was cool. We added a mobile app. We added an email tool for doing like, you know, email blasts that look personalized. We added, um, most recently we added a data room. So once you kind of get further along the fundraising process with investors, you know, you want to start sharing all your confidential information, your product roadmaps and intellectual property. So that's where a data room really comes in. So, yeah, we've just been kind of expanding it. Um, ever since those early days of an investor CRM to replace the spreadsheet and just adding more tools. And these tools kind of fit along the continuum of what happens during a fundraise, right? The database is what you would use to start to build that target list. CRM is what you load all those investors targets into pitch deck, hosting, email tools, investor updates to kind of run the outreach to investors, data room to do the due diligence, so on and so forth. Um, and then just one extra little layer on, I'll add on that, you know, we've been selling just to startups, but we also have a version now that we've branched off into that's for investment bankers and VCs, anyone who's working with multiple companies, some accelerators using this, anyone who's working with multiple companies, we have a, a version of the product for them too. So that's how it's evolved. Interesting. And then what's the startup docs? Because those look really cool to me too. Oh, yeah. I forgot all about those. Um, those are a collection of, frankly, a lot of them are, are back to the consulting days or, or harken back to the consulting days. It's a collection of pitch decks, term sheets, cap tables. These are spreadsheets. These are PowerPoints. These are PDFs that are all like downloadable consumables. Um, for example, there's some spreadsheets like one of them is a, a VC dilution scenario analyzer. So you can see. If you start with, you know, you and your co-founder, maybe you each own 50% of the business today, but you raise two or three rounds, what does your ownership of the business look like after a couple rounds, right? So there's just some interesting kind of fundamental like documents and templates in there, um, partnership agreements, NDAs, things like that. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I thought like that's super useful because i think when you need to raise money especially if it's your first time and you've never done it before trying to find good versions of those documents or even which documents you need is a daunting task yep oh and there, there's tons of stuff out there right on the web i mean there's yeah. a million things out there but you're right it's finding the good stuff and like we try and make it fairly curated like we have a couple different term sheet templates in there and then I think we have a, this is was written by a law firm. There's like an explanation of terms document. So it's one thing to just have a term sheet that you would use with investors, but you also have to understand what these terms mean. So we've got a little yeah. tool for that as well, which is nice. Sure. And then do you want to quickly cover the founder's market? Because I think that's really useful too for, for any stage of startup, really. Yeah, yeah. We built that. Um Originally, kind of as a little business model experiment, we thought, oh, could we put together all these products that founders need once after they raise capital? What do you need, right? You need accounting and recruiting and stuff like that, payroll. Could we consolidate all these things that you need as a founder into one place? And originally thought we'd get paid on some of these. It didn't really work out like that. But um, basically, it's a collection of like discounts on other products, stuff that you need. Uh, as you're building your startup, as you're growing your startup, as you're scaling up, even like 
office space. I think we have WeWork in there, you know, stuff like that. I think there's about 25 or 30 deals in there. Most of it's stuff we use ourselves, Gusto and um, things like that. Very cool. And let's talk about pricing quick because you have a, you basically can start for free. And then obviously for more features, you, you have to pay. But can you walk us through pricing? Yep, there is a free version. It's free forever, does not require a credit card, um, but it is pretty limited. It lets you add up to 25 investors from the database, lets you do some searches. You can upload a, a pitch deck. You can create investor updates. It just doesn't have all the bells and whistles. The next tier up is 49 bucks a month, and then there's a $69 a month plan. And some of the bells and whistles, like you can integrate your email with those. So it pulls an email. You can send out decks and investor updates through the system. You can like do searches of the database and export your spreadsheet of investors. So there's just a lot of extra kind of premium features on that $69 a month plan, but that's basically it. There's no additional charge for extra users. So you can have multiple team members with you and that's still 69 bucks a month for your company. Sure. So I'm, I'm sure people are wondering, how do you actually get the investors into the system? Are you finding them? Are they applying a bit of both or, or what can people expect from that? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a bit of a messy process. Sometimes I liken it to making sausage. It's not always the prettiest, um, prettiest thing to watch, but hopefully it turns out all right in the end. A lot of it is, well, we kind of built it originally. We, we purchased some data sets. There was a private equity recruiter that was uh, retiring. We bought his entire Rolodex from him. We have used some automated um, tools to gather like data from investors' websites and things like that, right? So we're kind of spidering and uh, crawling sites and collecting data. We've had teams of MBA interns a couple times a year come in and manually upload and uh, assemble data and add it to our database. And then we have a bunch of automated tools that help keep it clean, just like bounce um, running the data set through, you know, bounce detectors and stuff like that to keep it pretty up to date. But we're constantly adding to it, constantly cleaning it. Um, actually, I'll, I'll use this as a way to plug something we just added. We are now, when users come on and maybe they upload a spreadsheet, we do not take their investors and add them to our database. That's a common question. Um, um, how, yeah, so we don't touch our users' data. However, we just launched a feature where we are now asking our users to add a little bit of data about these investors. If you just pitched um, Chicago Ventures or, or whatever, you know, and you maybe they gave you a term sheet, maybe they invested in you. We have like a few super short little tags and questions, little feedback that we're asking our users to contribute so that the next founder who wants to go pitch them will have a few notes or tips for that. So we're starting to gather some crowdsourced data on the on the investor database, which I'm pretty fired up about. And that's awesome, actually. That's really helpful. Yeah. It's it's I really think it has a lot of powerful, you know, founders are good about helping other founders. That's one of the reasons yeah. I love working with entrepreneurs is just there's a camaraderie and 
you know, fundraising is scary and fundraising is stressful. And so if you can get some, a little bit of help from fellow 100%. founders who've gone before you, why not? Right. So totally. Yeah. Well, the reality is, is these documents are already getting shared between like people, you know, so why not give them to other people that are looking to pitch as well? Right. Yeah. Totally. So, so I'm curious about you guys have a lot of really good content on your blog. And I think your most recent are the 15 questions venture, venture capitalists will ask before investing in your startup. Um, you know, what's in store for venture capital in 2022. Can you maybe give us a little bit of an overview of those couple articles and, and some of the other stuff you cover on your blog? Because there's a lot of really useful, good content there as well. Yeah. So um, if you want to check this out directly, it's blog.foundersuite.com. Um, we also have a, a site up on Medium. I think it's medium.com forward slash foundersuite. But where a lot of this stuff is coming from. So every year, I think this is kind of a cool little thing we do. Every New Year's, basically, we we have a little tiny marketing team. We have a challenge to like come up with a new marketing experiment, right? Doesn't matter okay. what it is, the, the wilder, the better. And I guess it's been three years now or, or so. Three years ago, we had this idea of let's start a blog or let's, I'm sorry, let's start a podcast. Um, okay. And, you know, everyone's got a podcast, but whatever. This isn't like that original, but it was still something new for us. And, and the podcast has been doing pretty well. It's called How I That's Raised awesome. It and it's interviews with founders. But what's cool about it is all that content that comes from the podcast I'm sure you appreciate this too, can then be kind of repackaged into blog posts, into guest articles, into medium posts. And that's been really powerful, you know, to kind of take, like we just put up not too long ago on the blog. I think it's the best fundraising advice of 2021 from interviews with like 40 different founders, right? Yeah. So one little article summarizes uh, I guess we did 40 interviews and we took the best from 21 different founders. And these are some really high profile founders, but you read that one article, you're basically getting the best of kind of like the cliffs notes of 40 hours of podcasts in one mm -hmm. article that will take you 10 minutes. Right. And I think that's yep. the power of, of this whole model is just to kind of take content, repackage it, summarize it, synthesize it into stuff that people can actually use and that's how we're approaching it. So it's been fun. But I actually think that's really good advice for startups listening is if you do these podcasts, cause you, you can repurpose that content in, in a blog post or, or what else, right? I think just to reiterate, I think that's a really good marketing strategy, especially for SEO and getting your content out there. Right. And you only have to record one thing and then write an article and there's transcription tools. So you can just kind of, it, it, a lot of it, the work is potentially done for you or at least, you know, 50% with some of these automated tools. Yeah. I, and frankly, we're probably not even tapping. We're like the iceberg. There's typically the iceberg on this. Cause I feel like we could be carving these up into short clips and I feel like right. there's a ton of stuff we could be doing. I'd be curious if you have anything that's working really well for you with your content. Is there anything that like 
is just crushing it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think my problem is is just time to build some of this stuff. Like I, I'm in the same boat as you. I do like the tip of the iceberg type stuff. And I know I should be breaking my content into little clips, um, you know, that are a few minutes long. I think having a trailer, something I got to get my acting gear on. Like, yeah. um, I, I also think, too, because the podcast market is so saturated, if you can get on like an FM station, your your listenership will go way up. Um, mm. More, more mm -hmm. people are going back to traditional kind of or even like a streaming station because they know um, – sometimes that might be helpful and then i i also like just doing little video interviews on a deeper dive on something sometimes if they're like 20 30 minutes has helped me a lot too so and people love doing video okay. right i think if you so um yeah so we talked a bit about the podcast can you reiterate what what's the podcast called again and and what types of stuff do you cover yeah and it's called how i raised it it's uh, an homage. I like to think of it as an homage, not a copycat of uh, how I built this, but um, from Guy Raz. But uh, it's called How I Raised It. And really, it is kind of uh, one dimensional. <laughs> that sounds bad, but it is all about fundraising, right? That's right. The, the theme and the topic. And we explore that in, but even though it's mono monotopical, um, it is very diverse in what we what we talk about. Like I just got off the phone or just did one right before chatting with you with a new venture fund based in uh, Milwaukee called Character VC and how they raised their fund and how they differentiate by doing like design sprints with their startups. Really just interesting stuff. Um, before that, also this morning, I did an interview with... Um, a startup called Burnt that is making an NFT marketplace uh, and they raised all their capital from crypto firms on like Discord and stuff like that. So very non-traditional way of fundraising, but the topics are the same. You know, we're covering everything from right. NFT marketplace to venture firm and everyone in between and how they raise money and all the really get into the weeds on like the tactics and the tips they employ to get people to write a check. That's basically what it's about interesting because yeah it, sometimes fundraising can be such a black box right you have no idea and then depending on the firms you're pitching they all have different processes and sometimes even ways you need to do certain things and it seems like the east coast can be different than the west coast and the sure. middle can be different like between both and it gets really confusing do, do you agree a hundred percent hundred percent i used to think there is I, that I knew everything about fundraising. I used to think there is one right way to do it. And I do still think there are some kind of core tenets about raising money, but I've learned from the podcast, we've done like 225 interviews with people who have raised capital and I've learned that there's 225 different ways to do it. And it's, <laughs> so there's still not a one specific playbook, even though I think you can pick up tips and, and tactics from all these different people. Like, just an example, one of the ones we did maybe just two or three weeks ago was only focused on like how to run a VC meeting, both during the meeting and like the follow up afterwards, like really granular stuff. Like as a first time founder, you're not going to, it's not rocket science, but you're not going to intuitively know all this stuff. You know what I mean? So it's like, sure. just un unpacking that stuff can be really 
really valuable, right? Because you don't need to make the same mistakes that I made. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So can you give us a couple examples of how to run a VC meeting? I, I Selfishly, I want to know. <laughs> yeah. Um, let me see if I can remember it from top of mind. I mean, his whole thing was he had like a seven step process. And so I'm not okay. going to probably do it justice, but it was like um, in the first five minutes or even two minutes, like set an agenda for the rest of the meeting um, and, you know, and really making it very conversational and not like a script, you know, and kind of tailing it around um, what the investor wanted to, to talk about. Right. Um, yeah. And then, you know, kind of like, like asking the investor a lot of questions, qualifying that investor. Um, he had a bunch of tips for like following up right away. Like one of his cool tips, which I have really never heard before was if, if they are interested in pursuing further, you send them a data room and you say, this data room has all our, all our information, all our pitch decks, all our customer references, all our information for you to make a decision and you have access until, uh, you know, March 2nd. So really creating like oh, interesting a process and a timeline, a deadline, frankly, for investors like here, here it all is. Here's everything about our business that you need to make a decision. You have three weeks or whatever to, to go in, get what you need and make a decision, right? Because I thought that was really clever and really different. Um, and that was really cool right because that's that's the hard part of it getting investors to move at your time time frame yeah well and it also creates that sense of urgency it also it sucks when you're raising money and you're waiting you know two months six months for some of these deals to close or not close right and then i guess it's like they should be able to give you a reasonable answer or at least a follow-up to say look, we're not going to make this three-week timeline. Can we have another two weeks or whatever the number is, right? Yeah. But you're kind of moving them along instead of the other way. That's interesting. I've never heard that before. And I guess it's worth, it's worth a shot and it must work for, for some um, VCs. Interesting. One thing that I'm curious then to get your thoughts on, I've heard recently from a few investors is – record a quick like one or two minute video of the founders just kind of quickly introducing themselves maybe quickly talk about the product just so they can they don't have to go do research on like who the founders are they can just like quickly see a little video you know you don't have to get like it doesn't have to be crazy professionally shot or anything like the cameras on your computer are good enough but to give kind of just like a quick little video have you heard that or your thoughts around that because you've done this for for a long time I don't dislike the idea. I think it could be um, it could be kind of fun, especially if it's short, right? Investors are not going to sit through a five minute video yeah. if it's a minute or two and provides a little personality and color. I think investors, it's still hard to get investors to to watch something like that. They want okay. to they want to like skim a, a deck on their iPhone, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, okay. You know, there was some statistic. I think it might have come from Docs, and and this might not be the exact number, but it was basically like on average, investors spend like it was a low number, like a minute and a half on a pitch deck. You know, I mean, it was a really low number. So, um, if you could capture you and your personality and the and your firm's personality and maybe some exciting metrics, 
in a minute or so. I think that's interesting. I think it's interesting. I just wouldn't be surprised if a lot of investors don't, don't watch, watch it. it. So I wouldn't like rely on it as your only <laughs> strategy. No, yeah. So what other advice do you give to people looking to raise capital? Because again, you've done this a bunch of times and you've seen a ton of companies do this. Yeah. You know, I, it's, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot to the question, but I think some of the common things we're seeing, like, and this is something we're seeing with people on our, our podcast kind of commonalities, I would say like roughly maybe 85% of them started building relationships with investors way in advance of raising capital. So, and this is surprising to people. They're like, okay, I started so how a do you startup. Do that? Now it's, nope. yeah. So, so a couple ways. So one is um, obviously if you've worked, if you're already working, maybe you're, you don't have your startup launched yet, but you're working in a, a firm, you know, start to get to know. We've had people on the show that were like working at a startup that was raising capital and that person was maybe an engineer or designer, but they would, you know, purposely plug themselves into the fundraising process to, to start to build networks with, uh, with investors. Okay. But not everyone can do that. Right. So sure. another way to do that is, and this is one of my favorites. Um, this is something we talk about on our funding hacks, which is a, a webinar we do, but like build a target list of investors, spend 50 plus hours building like the ultimate list of investors in your space. If you're in robotics, if you're in whatever it is, build the list of ultimate investors in that space, get to know them online, get, you know, follow them on Twitter, engage with them a little bit. And then once you've kind of built that list and identified not just funds, but people um, reach out to them with what I call the permission email. And it basically says something like, Hey, my name is Nathan. I've, I'm working on this startup. Um, it's in the fintech SaaS space. I know you've done a lot of deals in that space. I've been following you on Twitter for a while. Really impressed by some of your investments. Whatever, maybe flattering them a little bit. You know, I'm we're heads down mode right now. We haven't launched yet, but we send out a monthly one-page summary update of our progress. Can I have your permission to add you to our distribution list? I think you're you're gonna like what we're doing, right? Something like that. Um, can I give you early access or a sneak peek of what we're building here? And a lot of investors will be open to that because, hey, you're not asking them for money. You're not asking them even for time at this moment. You're not asking them to get on a Zoom at this moment. You're simply asking them, can you add them to your company update distribution list? Um, but then as you send this out and they see your progress, you know, um, put out a question to this group like, hey, can anyone, we're trying to recruit a, I'm just making this up, a robotics uh, QA engineer. Can anyone recommend a good place to source this? You start to kind of engage this little community. Maybe you set up a, you know, here's where you start to talk about is a quick Zoom call to get their feedback on something with your your top list, right? You start to engage them a little bit in, in what you're doing. And then, you know, a couple months later, you mentioned, hey, we're going to be kicking off our seed round next month. This is all in the investor update you're sending. We're going to be kicking off our seed round next month. Let me know if you'd like me to send over our pitch deck or, or, or an early draft of our pitch deck, something like that. 
And so you kind of just involve them in your process at a really early age or really early stage without asking for very much, <laughs> right? Because yeah. that's often the problem. Yeah. So. No, I think that's actually really good advice because you're almost, you're basically, well, what's the running joke? It's like, if you want money, ask for advice. If you, if you want advice, ask for money. Sure. Yep. So yep. it's kind of that, right? Like. <laughs> No. Well, that's right. And, but, but you're right. You're, you're showing them your progress. You're maybe asking for a little bit of advice here, but they're seeing that you're conscientious and maybe you're even taking some of the advice and putting it to work. Right. I mean, that's really great. Right. That makes everyone feel good. And so as an investor, that's the type of founder you want to put money into is one that's coachable, that's making progress. Right. <laughs> so there is, there is something true to that. Now flip that around and it's just this random founder who you've never heard of before coming straight at you saying, we're raising 3 million bucks. Do you want in on the deal? I've never heard of you before. I don't know anything about you. You know, maybe if you have like incredible traction or something, I'll still set up a call with you. But it's it's definitely like a, a very abrupt way to approach them. You know, it's like going for marriage right on the first date kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, no fair. I, I think that's good advice. And it actually kind of goes back to your comment earlier about like podcasting and like what, you know, what's worked for me or not worked for me. And I'm just, like I said, just doing the tip of the iceberg. But what I've noticed is I've had investors on the show, you know, a number of years ago and I've never was raising capital at the time I had them on the show, but like they know who I am because yes. of the, I can write back to them and say, you did my show three years ago or five years ago. And I get that, you know, not if you start a podcast today, but there's a reason to reach out to an investor and say, Hey, I'm doing, we're building this robotics company in this space. We're launching a podcast in a month or two about robotics. You guys invest in this space. Love to have you as a guest. You don't have yes. to ask them any, some will say yes. Some you'll never hear back from. Some will say, you know, take a hike. But it doesn't matter. You start building that list. And I, there is majority of my guests I've had on the show, and there's over 500 shows now, that I would probably never talk to even 1% of those people if I didn't have the show. Yeah. I love it. I think that's a great funding hack. <laughs> I think... I don't know if we had anyone directly employ that tactic, but I think that would be perfect, right? You're a robotics yeah. startup, start a robotics podcast, interview every freaking investor in robotics space, and they're going to know of you. They might not invest in you because maybe they have a competing deal or they just don't like what you're doing, but they're going to know of you at least. And that's that's marketing 101, right? Building well, brand awareness. Yeah. And you, you never know where they're going to end up or you're going to end up. If you pivot, maybe they leave, go to another firm that's looking for... like. You, you don't know. And well, you, you've been in it long enough. People, some people never change jobs, but majority of people change jobs every few years, unless you're the owner or CEO, right? Sure. So yeah, totally. I'm curious if there's any other advice that you'd give to startups looking to raise uh, capital. You know, yeah, there's, there's a ton. I mean, I'm trying to think like the best couple of, I think put yourselves in the shoes of investors, right? They are bombarded, hounded constantly from needy founders uh, hitting them up for money. Now, their job is to find the good startups, right? That's how right. you make money as a VC is finding the 
diamond in the patch of coal or i don't know what the right metaphor is there but you know finding <laughs> yeah. the good ones in a sea in a noisy sea of startups um so just think of that from that perspective you've got to be and that means a few th few things that means your pitch materials need to be really crisp and polished because you're competing with 30 other deals they saw that week right right it means if you can get a warm intro to them that notches you up a level right it's it's like um that can help set you apart from the the noise um if you can build some of this external brand like we just talked about maybe it's a podcast maybe you are speaking at certain events you know if you can get yourself on on stage at robotics conference <laughs> you know yeah. and that's great that's huge because there's sort of building that again branding and awareness of you not only to your customers, but investors, that's great. Um, and, you know, just making yourself kind of something that is going to be attracted to investors, that can also mean traction and progress, of course, right? The, the worst startup is one that, and we see these sometimes, they're like, Nathan, I, I have this great idea for a robotic startup, but to do anything, I need to raise 2 million bucks. Like, I need the money to, you know, if I had money, then I could do this. Well, that's automatic, like failure mindset, right? Because yeah. that's just not how founders work. Founders make it happen one way or another, whether it's moonlighting, whether it's keeping their day job and funneling their paychecks into building a proof of concept, robotic arm, whatever, maybe, right? You, you make it happen. Um, and you, you know, as, as investors want to see these founders that can, overcome any obstacle and bust through walls to make their their dream happen so i would say just kind of put yourself in the mind of investors if you were investing a startup what kind of founder would you want to see someone who's dynamic who's driven who's gonna bust through those walls who's polished in their pitch and presentation and materials and who just has that kind of it factor <laughs> i know it's pretty generic but you know it when you see it yeah yeah interesting and and you're right it it is very much about just going for it and figuring it out and struggling through it. And they want to see that investors want to see that. And I've heard a bunch of investors say that they're fine with the failures and the pivots. And in some yeah. cases, a lot of them will only invest in people that have failed before because they know that person will keep picking themselves up and keep going when times get tough. Right. Yep. And Absolutely. times will get tough, like multiple times throughout the day. Sometimes we'll get tough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind a week, right? Like it's, I always joke, it's the best and worst thing I've ever done. And I'll give you one of those two answers, depending on the 15 minute interval I'm in at the time. Right. So, you know, it's pretty, pretty bad some days, but it, I couldn't think of doing anything else at the same time. Right. Yeah. Yesterday, we're recording this on a Tuesday. Yesterday morning, Monday morning, okay. I'm logging on and and there's some Redis issue and our site crashes. Okay. <laughs> and okay. another guy is having some issue. And I don't think it's actually on our fault, but he sent a pitch deck to investors and somehow it's sending like five copies of it to investors. And again, I think it's his email, not anything on us. I've never heard of this happen before, but like right. he's trying to communicate with investors and, and they're just getting like five decks from him. And then I've got engineers in Ukraine 
and you know Putin is threatening to invade Ukraine and there's chatter right. that that they're going to cut off the internet. So I'm thinking, all right, the site is crashing. These terrible things are happening to our users and our Ukrainian engineers are about to be cut off from civilization. Like <laughs> that's, that's a Monday morning. Yeah. And then, you know, 20 minutes later, a bunch of new customers sign up and I'm, I'm happy again. But I mean, that's a, a day in the life, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm glad you actually shared that because you've been doing this a long time and stuff like this still happens to everyone. It doesn't matter whether it's day one or day, you know, 7,000 or whatever. It doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. To be very clear, our site does not crash very often. It's been down like two minutes in the last couple of years. <laughs> still, sure. it, happened. Oh, it, it happens it happened. to everybody, right? Like, yeah. well, every time Amazon servers go down, like half the internet goes down or same That's with right. Google servers, right? It's like everybody uses these technologies and one of those big players goes down, everybody goes down, right? And so just, yep. it is yep. what it is. <laughs> but uh we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself, Founder Suite, the podcast, and any other links you want to mention? Sure. Yeah. If you are raising capital or thinking about it, I'd love to put in the plug, you know, just check out foundersuite.com, F-O-U-N-D-E-R-S-U-I-T-E.com. Um, like we mentioned earlier, there's a free version. You can check it out, poke around a bit. And, uh, and then it's not too expensive if you upgrade 49 bucks or 69 bucks. Um, also the blog, blog.foundersuite.com, lots of good stuff there. And then if you just search on how I raised it on Spotify, iTunes, uh, we also have a good YouTube channel, search on Foundersuite or, or how I, I think how I raised it will show up. And then just the usual suspects like Twitter at foundersuite.com. I'm happy to connect with people. I'm on pretty active on LinkedIn. Actually, I'll, I'll plug that for a second. On LinkedIn, we put out a lot of two or three things a week, uh, very active creating content on LinkedIn. And a lot of it's like, you know, list of medical tech investors, or right. here are top 20 questions that VCs are going to ask you, you know, like pretty tactical, valuable stuff on LinkedIn and happy to connect with you. Maybe just mention you, you know, you heard about heard about it on building the future show or friend of Kevin or whatever. I'm happy to connect on LinkedIn and that's pretty much it. Perfect, man. Well, I really appreciate you again, taking the time out of your day to be on the show and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Thanks. I appreciate it so much. Have a good rest of your day too. And uh, uh, thanks for the airtime. Yeah. Thank you, man. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.